Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Hoop Du Jour with me, Peter Vesey, presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Welcome to another segment of Hoop Du Jour. And nobody that I know in my life is, is better to be, to be interviewed than Pat Williams. Um, you have to be, well, you don't have to be, but you should be an historian if you want to understand what Pat Williams has accomplished in his, in his life and in his career. And uh, I said when I wrote about you in 2012 that you were the most interesting person in the world. But I, I'm going to take that back. I would say the most fascinating person in the world. I, I just uh, I can't get enough of your stuff. I really can't, Pat. Um, but I, I think it's best for us to start um, with with your with your um, you had a you had a, a mission. A mission was remission. That was your that was your you came up with that term, correct? Mission. Well, Peter, uh, it was about uh, 12 and a half years ago Correct. Uh, that I went in for my yearly physical and the doctor said there's something in your blood work that doesn't look right and we uh, suggest you get it checked out. Well, I didn't pay a lot of heed to that, but eventually um, I said, well, okay. And uh, <clears throat> they sent me to an oncologist and I didn't know what an oncologist was, Peter. That's how... <laughs> Uh, removed I was from and after a series of tests uh, Dr. Robert Reynolds informed me that I had cancer uh, I was shocked stunned I, I, I said what what kind he said it's called multiple myeloma I said melanoma no 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 it's not skin he said uh, there's cancer of the blood in your bone marrow he said, it's a blood disease, uh, fairly rare. Uh, I, I was just flabbergasted, Peter. I mean, I couldn't hardly speak. Fortunately, my wife was there to take notes. Uh, but long story short, uh, that started this 13-year cancer battle that I've been in. Fortunately, I've responded well to all the different forms of chemo and <clears throat> continue that. I feel good. My energy level's good. I've I've been very, very fortunate and blessed that uh, I've gotten through the worst of it and I'm able to uh, live my full life. And uh, for that, I'm very grateful. But explain, explain to everybody, because I didn't understand it at the time. This, this disease is incurable. It's inoperable. Correct? Uh, that's correct, Peter. When, when, I, when I began to ask the doctor questions years back, I said, uh, <clears throat> how long am am I going to live? He said, well, the life expectancy is two to three years. He said, but we want to keep you alive long enough because there are all sorts of, of new forms of chemo in the pipeline that'll be very effective. So we got to get you through these two to three years. 
uh, which they did. And he was right about that because these different forms of, of uh, chemo oral uh, I've been on and they've been very effective. The doctors tell me uh, they don't see any signs of the multiple myeloma, which, you know, obviously is great news. Although every time you go in for a checkup, you kind of hold your breath. But Pat, you, you said at the time, I believe, you talked about stem cells. Well, Peter, the, here's how that works. They, um, they, they put you on different forms of chemo early on and, and, and uh, see if, if they can make progress. And after a year or so, if they haven't, then they, they turn to a stem cell transplant. And uh, they told me that, uh, that that was the next step. And uh, I had no idea what that was about. But uh, they put me through that process. It required time in the hospital, and and uh, but I got through that, and it and that worked, and that was a key point in my my cancer battle. Get, going through that stem cell transplant process, I did it here in Orlando, and um, it was successful. But how 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 did it work for you? Uh, again, I'm, I'm recalling that you said something about they using your your cells to take out of you and then re-inject inside of you. And I remember your line about, yeah, and they, they seem to be getting along. They seem to be playing nicely with each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, what happens is you go in, uh, I went in for two days, and they, <clears throat> they begin to harvest your stem cells. They <clears throat> process your blood, and, and these stem cells are kicked off into another area and you can see the whole thing unfolding as you're sitting there in the chair. And uh, so I, I went in maybe from eight to one o'clock one day. They said they didn't, hadn't harvested enough of them, <clears throat> wanted me back in the next day. And they got more. And then they said, we've got enough. Then they freeze them. And then they reinsert them back into your body. That's a whole process that takes about eight hours. Uh, from maybe nine until five. It's not painful. I slept through a lot of it. And uh, they, they, they process your stem cells back in somehow. Peter, I, I'm still, I, I still don't understand all the, all how all this works. The, the modern medicine just flabbergasts me. But, but at five o'clock that day, after they'd finished, they said, get out of bed and start walking. Just start walking the halls here. You know, right. they, so I, I have something, Pat, where, where your wife said that, that when she got to the hospital the next morning, following the, the double sessions, and that was February 10th of 2011. That would be right. That okay. sounds right, Peter. And she, she said Pat was walking laps around the bone marrow unit. He did that <laughs> three times a day and got on the bike daily as well. <laughs> well, that that's that all was true they they want you to start exercising and, and begin to uh, uh get that transplant rolling and moving and uh, so i followed their directions the one thing i learned peter through all this is listen to your doctors uh do what they tell you right. uh d don't uh, don't argue with them because you read something on the internet uh they're they're the experts and they're the ones who uh, you know, I've got the training and know what they're doing. And, and uh, in this case, I, I got through that. I would not want to do it again. Some people, Peter, dealing with cancer, uh, blood cancers, uh, they, they have to go back maybe two or three times uh, because it didn't work. Um, so I'm very, very grateful that, uh, well, 2011, what, what that was, uh, 
what, 11 years ago? Uh, over 11 years ago. And, uh, and so it worked in my case. And, uh, and you said you have three birthdays. <laughs> well, Peter, I have, I have the, uh, my, my, my physical birth, and then I had a spiritual birth uh, when I was 27, and then I had this uh, rebirth from cancer uh, when I was uh, in my 70s. So, uh, <clears throat> and and uh, I I feel uh, as good as I've ever felt. I'm able to keep a full, my full life. I'm able to uh, do everything that I want to do, and uh, so I'm, I'm I feel very fortunate. God God's been good to me, Peter. Uh, tell me, tell tell us about you, you had mentioned to me years ago that Flynn Robinson, who played in the NBA, played with the uh, the great Laker team that, that won 33 in a row in a championship in 72. He called you. He had the same disease that you had. What what was that conversation like? Well, it was it was productive. It was short and it wasn't long, <clears throat> but he he had been diagnosed and he'd been dealing with it longer than I had. Uh, but, but he didn't make it, Peter. He didn't make it. Not, not long thereafter, he passed away. And then I learned other NBA people. Um, Tom Mischeri, uh, is a multiple myeloma guy. Still with us. Still around. Uh, one, uh, who was a good friend, he did not make it. His name was Jay Cardi. And Jay Cardi had one year in the NBA. It was the 68-69 Lakers team. He made it and was on that, on that team. And uh, he became, had, had become a good friend, and he didn't make it. And then you go to the baseball world. Uh, Don Baylor uh, was a multiple-lyamoma guy, and his, his life ended. Uh, Mel Stottlemyre Sr., the pitcher, uh, dealt with multiple myeloma. And so, Pat, not, not that rare. Well, that's what I'm finding, Peter. It's it's true. I'm I'm finding that out. Uh, a lot more multimodal uh, people out there than I thought. If you go way back in baseball history, there was a wonderful ball player named Billy Goodman, uh, played with the Red Sox, and, and I learned much later that Billy Goodman was a multiple myeloma guy. Uh, Geraldine Ferraro. How about this one? Sam Walton, Mister Sam. Really. He was a myeloma guy. So uh, it, it's quite fascinating that uh, it is rare, but uh, the more I keep hearing names, Peter, maybe it's not that rare. I have, I have a, an expression I came up with a few years ago. You know, as, as we get older, things go wrong. You know, everybody, things go wrong. And you either, you either adjust yes. or, you, or you adjourn. And in <laughs> your, or in your case, you become more accomplished. I mean, your your life is is just extraordinary. Uh, the last time I checked, you had only written maybe I don't know sixty seven books, but now I hear it's up to one hundred and seventeen. Is that true? Well, Peter, it's actually one hundred and twenty five. Um, <laughs> I've got you wrote, you wrote a few before this before we interviewed you. Today? <laughs> there are a few more coming in the next year. <clears throat> I've been very fortunate in that area. You know, first of all, to find topics that publishers want to publish. That's half the battle. Would you consider doing mine? Oh, what, your biography? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Peter, I'll tell you what I would do if I were you. You, you, <laughs> you write it yourself. 
<laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> you're you're the writer, and you've got the fascinating. You've story. written more books than than I've thumbed through in, in a bookstore. I, I mean, I can't, writing well, one is it's just not that easy. Well, know? Peter, speaking of bookstores, uh, everybody's got a happy place. You know, it may be Starbucks for somebody. It may be this play, the mall for somebody. Well, my happy place is always, always uh, a Barnes and Noble. Uh, my favorite Barnes and Noble is on Fifth Avenue in New York. Mm. Uh, that's my favorite. A friend of mine owned that for quite a while. Uh, Lenny yeah. Riggio. Lenny Riggio. He, he came from well, nowhere that's... and started it and drops out, comes back, drops out. I'm not sure where he stands right now, but... Uh... Yeah, we our daughters were pretty friendly on the writing circuit. How about that, people? That's a, that's a familiar name to me. Yeah. And uh, my second favorite uh, Barnes and Noble is on Rush Street in uh, Chicago, and my third favorite is uh, on Highway Fifty right here in Orlando. Highway but, Fifty. But I but I love to hang out at Barnes and Nobles. There's always new stuff coming. Always a new book that's arrived. Always something of interest, and so uh, that's. That's my happy spot. All right. So I'm not going to even try to guess. Uh, last time I checked, I had a number of children that you had adopted <laughs> over the years. How many have you adopted now? Well, <laughs> I Peter, think last time, 17 or so. Well, that ended up a long time ago. But we ended okay. up with 19 children, and we adopted 14 of those kids from uh, four foreign countries. Uh, South Korea, the Philippines, Romania, and Brazil. Uh, they're all adults now. Uh, the oldest of our children, uh, 50, the youngest is, uh, I guess, 36. Uh, so they're all out on their own. We're now in the grandchildren department. We have 21 grandkids and, uh, uh, we're, we're certainly enjoying them. How, how old were they when you adopted them and how, how did you go through that process? You know, look, I'm a, I'm a dog lover and, and I've adopted many, many dogs how do you go to a shelter and pick out one? You know, it's impossible. I, you know, so all right, we'll take two. But what about you with the children, uh, Peter? Um, it, it, it was a process. It was very, very interesting. The the, the uh, oldest uh, international adoption, and we ad we adopted internationally. Um, Holt Children's Services is based out of Eugene, Oregon. And uh, there, that's who we learned about. And at that time, this is now the early 80s, uh, South Korea was the nation where you could most readily adopt from. And that's not the case today. Uh, and we learned about two little girls that had been uh, left in an orphanage. Uh, one, they were two and three years old. And we went through the process. And the next thing you know, it was September of 1983, an off-duty flight attendant uh, escorted these two little girls uh, to the Philadelphia airport where we were with the Sixers at the time, just had won the title uh, that spring. And that September, these two girls arrived. And uh, that's that's how it started. And uh, I caught the bug, you know, and uh, uh, the next round, we learned of twin boys uh, from South Korea. They were five. And uh, ah, why not? What's two more? And then a year later, we learned about four uh, brothers in the Philippines, and we said, "Ah, what's four more? We let's let's do it." There was no plan. There was no master plan. Uh, then Romania fell, and uh, that was a huge story back in. Uh, well, I guess now we're at the late '80s, and we, uh, we that's how two little girls from Romania ended up here. 
And uh, then we went to visit uh, Brazil. And Brazil will break your heart. Uh, you know, we visited different orphanages. We uh, saw some of the favelas in Brazil, these, these horrible downtrodden places. But mm. uh, we ended up uh, getting four kids out of Brazil. And uh, so uh, <laughs> there was no master plan, Peter. We, we just felt, you know, we can, we, can, we can do what's two more. You know, let's, let's do it. All, all lottery picks. <laughs> yeah, they all, they all got no cut contracts too, Peter. Uh, and, uh, that's and they, the way it works. That's that's the way it works in the animal world too. Once they come on the property, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, well, that's yeah, they're you bad or not. You, so you, the you, oldest is fifty. I I read somewhere that two of your children became Marines. That's true, Peter. Two of the uh, two of the Filipino boys. Uh, they they started college. It wasn't going to work for them. Now, that was very evident. And I put them in my car and took them one at a time uh, right to the Marine recruiting station. Mm. And off they went to Paris Island. And I, I must tell you, Peter, when we went up to that graduation uh, ceremony. At, oh, proud, uh, huh? Proud. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, as proud as if they had graduated from Harvard. Or I Yale. Yeah. Uh, to, to see them, um, you know, they became men in the Marine Corps. One of them. Uh, the oldest, David, ended up uh, in, in uh, combat uh, during the second Iraq war. You know, he was right in the middle of it. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, you know, he came through it. But uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of the Marine Corps, Peter. And I, I encourage, you know, if you've got a, kid, a child that doesn't know quite what to do with his life or her life, right. uh, aren't sure about going to college, uh, going to the Marine Corps, you'll, you'll come out a different person. Right. And to have Peter, to have that on your resume, the rest of your life. Right. A uh, member of the United States Marine Corps. Oh boy. Uh, that, that opens people's eyes. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they immediately say, really, uh, tell me about it. Tell me what, and they're fascinated with the Marine Corps. So right. I, I, I recommend that to families that to where you've yeah. got a child. Well, I, I, I totally agree. I, I was one of those kids who was definitely not made out for college and wound up going into the Army drafted in those days. Really? And realized and realized about the second day of boot camp that I, I think I wanted to go back to school. But <laughs> instead, I was in for two years. You know, I made the best out of it. But when I came out, I understood that got to do something with my life and uh, so have your children now done something you know with their lives that yes one of the boys went on and got his college degree the other the other uh, boy uh, has gone into the world of construction and and they've both done well peter now listen i i i did not know that about you in the military where, where did you do your basic training i i did it down in south carolina fort jackson yeah during the summertime Peter, that's where I did my basic training. Oh, there you go. So here we go. So then I went to Fort Ord for AIT. And you I know, went, the next stop from Fort Ord was Vietnam. Nam. You were going to Nam. So I raised my hand and volunteered for everything I could to to uh, to keep that in the distance. You know, I went airborne. I went in the Green Berets. And and so all that training, you know, got me got me back my job with, with the Daily News when I got out. I never went to Nam. I never went to Nam. 
Peter, I had no idea about, yeah, about well, that. We, we're learning stuff about each other even now. So I went into I went into the Army Reserves. You know, I was in the baseball business and the Phillies uh, had uh, different military people to all, with all their personnel, players and all to uh, keep them uh, from getting drafted. So uh, I did my uh, six months of basic training, Fort Jackson, then down to Fort Polk, Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana, sure. And uh, I look back now, I, I did not enjoy it. I, I couldn't <laughs> really, <laughs> but Peter, I will say this. I'm, I'm proud of it now. Um, you know, whenever people, you know, in any setting, they say, uh, do we have any uh, retired military here? Well, I always stand up. Absolutely. And uh, you, you, know, you I, stand up at attention though. <laughs> I feel very proud of, of, of that part of my background. I, I, I learned. Uh, I learned a lot as I look back. I, I learned an awful lot in that setting. Right. So, how about Peter? I'm going to treat you with a lot more respect now. Well, you don't have to salute me, but 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 if you want, you can. So so the proudest moment of my life was getting my silver wings put on my chest. Ooh. When I when I got out of airborne school because it was so difficult. I wanted to quit every day and many, many people quit every day. So to go through that and then the next step was to go through Green Beret training at Fayetteville at Fort Bragg. Really? So anyway, but those wings, I still have them on my uh, on my beret. I put them on my beret now. <laughs> Peter, you uh, you um, were a Green Beret. That That's... Um... That's like being a frogman in the Navy. Not know? as not as good as a SEAL, I would say, because they, they trained with us, Pat. And um, I, I never got over the fact that, you know, these guys, a bunch of SEALs, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 of them working out with us, going through what we went through. But if, if somebody told one of them to drop down and give them 20 push-ups, they'd all go down and, you know, give 20 push-ups. So that was... <laughs> That was that stood out in my mind. I just I just love the fact that they that they did that. You know, I, I, I said, I know these seals are special. Isn't that great? Well, Peter, I'm proud of our military. Uh, I've, I've, I've got a great respect for our military. And um, I think whenever you pass someone in uniform in an airport or whatever, I think it behooves us to, to thank them for their service. Yeah. And, and tell them how grateful we are. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a key part of the United States of America and, and in this tough world that we live in. I'm proud of our military. Yeah, as I am. I'm, I'm only going to take this one step further. So I, I, I put on my, my uh, jacket recently, uh, maybe a few months ago, and walked through the town that I now live in, upstate New York, Saratoga, which is a, a military town. And uh, so I had my – it still fit. And uh, – I, I didn't go two or three blocks. Everybody was was saying hello, you know, thanks for your service. I, said, oh. <laughs> I love it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. You know, really very emotional. Peter, how did you end up in Saratoga? I I, I didn't know that. Um, well, I hate to say it on the air, but I got divorced and uh, I, I decided to move up upstate where the Knicks trained for a few years when Donnie Walsh was the president of the team. And I got to love the town. My parents are buried about 45 minutes away in a town called Cooksackie. And so I thought this was this was the place. My younger brother's son teaches at the college here. And um, 
you know, so a lot of my 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 younger brother teaches at Colgate. So you know, it was a it was a it was a good spot. I, I love the town. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce off of this. So your baseball and I don't really you've got so much in basketball that I want to get comments from you. But your baseball is the one that that uh, propelled you into basketball. You played at Wake Forest. You were a catcher. Really, you know, you're very decent. You got a, you got a a minor league contract off of that. But I, I heard a story that while you were a senior there, you had a radio show and you, you interviewed uh, a famous, famous man. Who was it? Bill <laughs> famous. <laughs> who was it? Billy Graham. You interviewed. I Billy did. Graham. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so just tell me that anecdote. I don't want to spoil the anecdote. Do you remember the anecdote when he, you asked him, you had a great team. Well, Peter, here's what happened. I, I had a great interest from a little boy in, in radio and, 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 and the written word, sports sections. I, I really learned how to read, reading the New York Times sports section when I started like seven years old. And, and then I would listen to every sports broadcast there was. And uh, so when I got to Wake Forest, they had a campus radio station, and I asked if I could do a sports talk show. And they said yes. And so my junior and senior year, that's what I did. And when people would come through uh, anywhere in that area, I would take my woolen sack tape recorder and, <laughs> and, 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 and talk to them. So, for example, Ted Williams came to Greensboro. Whoa. And I went over to the hotel and found him. Uh, Roger Maris came and uh, Harmon Killebrew, Jim Gentile came on a home run hitting deal at uh, the ballpark uh, in, in Winston-Salem. And I went and did them. And then Billy Graham came to speak on Let's the Let's stop a second. Ted Williams, you went and you and you interviewed him? I did, Peter. And I am a huge Ted Williams fan. Tell me. Well, about so was I. I love Ted Williams. Talk about I military know. five years. That's right. But he, he was there. He was with Sears Roebuck then. He just retired from the Red Sox. And he was there on some sort of a promotional trip. And and I, I, I he, as he was coming in, was my heart beating? Was I, yeah, you bet it was. And I, I said, Ted, I'm uh, taping a show and I'd love to have you on my show. Well, you know, Ted was bigger than life. Yeah, All right. And, and we went into this little room where I had everything set up and off we went. Oh my God. And, uh, and I, I remember when I'd finished, I said, Ted, and thank you very, very much. Ted was already out of the room right. at that point, but, but it happened. Yeah. Fantastic. And, um, Fantastic. and somewhere, somewhere deep in the archives, I don't know where it is, but uh, that, that tape is somewhere. Anyway, Billy Graham came and he was going to speak uh, at, at the chapel at Wake uh, twice. And he had a sports background. He grew up in Charlotte. He wanted to be a big league ball player. That was always his mission in life. He, he, he was a baseball kid and he wanted to be a ball player. And so, and then over the years, you know, of course he'd had involvement with many sports figures. And so I, it was a sports show. So I, I geared the whole thing towards Billy Graham and what he could, we could talk about about sports. <laughs> and, and it went very, very well. Anyway, Peter, that week, uh, the Wake Forest team, basketball team, uh, had, had battled their way into the Final Four. Uh, it was UCLA, Wake Forest, 
uh, Ohio State, and I guess I think Cincinnati. Unbelievable teams, and, yeah. And and and, and uh, this was uh, Lenny Chapel and Billy Packer. Uh, Bones McKinney was the coach, and um, and and somebody said to uh, Billy Graham, you know. Pray for the deacons, Billy. Pray for the, <laughs> the deacons. Yeah. And he said, he said, I'll I'll pray for the deeks. He said, but uh, somebody better figure out a way to stop Havlicek and Lucas. Because <laughs> we were we were going to open with Ohio State. He said, oh, that's fantastic. Said, somebody better figure out how to stop those two. Well, I'll right. pray for you. But <laughs> right, who did win that final four? Who did? Um, uh, it wasn't UCLA. They got knocked out. It was Ohio State, right? It was Ohio State. Then, 1960 or 60? This is 62. 62. I don't know. Was it they, won, they won twice, I think. It wasn't Cincinnati, I know. That wasn't All right. Was. Well, then it was Ohio State. Well, it might have been. It might have been. What do I know about that? But this was Bobby Knight, Larry Siegfried, uh, Jerry Lucas, John Havlicek, uh, yeah. Mel, Mel Noel. Mel, and Joe Roberts. Joe Roberts. There you go. How about that? Yeah, that, we we covered the Ohio State team. I have Mel Mel Knowles autograph on my wall over here. <laughs> really, really, because he played for the Nets, you know. So isn't that interesting? <laughs> One so, year, Peter. My roots are in baseball, and I played at Wake, and <clears throat> I graduated. And in the one club bidding for my services, <laughs> uh, the the Phillies won out. They gave me five a five hundred dollar bonus, uh, four hundred dollars a month. And uh, sent me to Miami in the Florida State League. And I arrived in uh, early June of 1962. Arriving the same week was an 18-year-old pitcher the Phillies had just signed. His name was Ferguson Jenkins. Yeah, I've, I've heard of him. You've heard of <laughs> Fergie Jenkins. And, and we, we were a pitcher. You caught him? You were I able did. to catch him? I, I did. He was... The easiest guy, and, and and major league catchers would tell you the same thing. His control was so good. I mean, you never had to move your glove. I mean, he would hit it every time. And um, went on to the Phillies. They made a bad trade. They uh, sent him to the Cubs. And he was just one of the – he and Marichal and Bob Gibson and Tom Seaver, you know, those great National League pitchers. Yeah. And, and Fergie, Fergie was right there. And uh, – and he went to the Hall of Fame. He's remained a friend whenever I see him. Oh, that's great. Did you did you put a sponge in your glove? I well, you know what I learned, Peter. <laughs> you would go to the ladies' department of of a, of a store and get a bra. You get a you get a falsy. A falsy, right? <laughs> and and uh, the veteran catcher. We had an old pro catcher named Dick Teed, and Dick, uh, former Dodger, he had one at bat for the Dodgers. And, and Dick taught us how to buy one of those and, and how it would fit right in your glove. Right. And he said, it, it's, the, it, 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 it's better than anything you can get. So I learned how to, how to do that. And uh, I learned an awful lot. And so, Peter, after the second year, 63, I got my master's degree at Indiana University in the meantime. And um, the, the Phillies said, I think we've seen enough of you behind the plate. Uh, so let's see how you do behind a desk. <laughs> did, 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 you, did, you, did you use the falsy behind the desk? Or <laughs> and that's how, Peter, that's how <laughs> my front office career started. Uh, I stayed in Miami for that 64 season, learning the ropes. 
<clears throat> and then they sent me to Spartanburg, South Carolina. And for four years, <clears throat> I was the general manager of the Phillies Farm Club in Spartanburg. Okay. And from that. And all my goals, Peter, all my dreams <clears throat> were to get to, to a major league baseball team. Of course. You you wanted to be Jerry Krause. I know that. No, I wanted to be uh, <laughs> Abe Paul. Or, or I wanted to oh, be. Oh, yeah, Gabe Paul. Nice. Or I wanted to be John Quinn. Ah. Or I wanted to be um, uh, Dick O'Connell or George Weiss. <laughs> George Weiss. Wow. <clears throat> that, that was Yankees. <laughs> so I walked into the ballpark one July day of, of uh, 1968. It was, in fact, it was the day of the Western Carolina League All-Star Game in our park in Spartanburg. And you remember little pink phone slips, you know, you don't have them anymore, where your secretary would write down messages or calls to return. And there was a note there said to return a call to a Jack Ramsey. <laughs> and it said in Inglewood, California, and it left the phone number. But you know who he was. And I thought, Jack Ramsey. Listen, Peter, I grew up in the Palestra. Sure. In the Philly area, I was I was at the Palaster every weekend as a right. high school kid. Loved Jack Ramsey, loved his St. Joe Hawks. So I, I and at this point, Jack Ramsey was the general manager of the 76ers. And so I returned the call. And sure enough, it was Jack Ramsey. And he and he explained to me, he said, I'm hitting Inglewood. He said, We're we we're, we're finishing a trade, we're sending Wilt Chamberlain to the Lakers. Uh, we're getting three players back. And, oh, and by the way, he said, uh, Alex Hannum is not returning as our coach. <clears throat> and I'm going to take on the coaching duties as well. He said, but I'm going to need somebody to run the front office. Because I'm a coach. I'm coaching. Right. And he said, I'd like to talk to you about that position. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, understand, Peter, I'd never met him. He'd never met me. Amazing. Um, I flew up to Philadelphia. I was 28 years old. I flew up to Philadelphia twice for interviews with Jack and, and with the Irv Kozlov, the owner. And, uh, finally, after the second interview, they, they offered me the job. Three year contract, 20,000 a year, Peter. Right. I was making 800 a month in Spartanburg and that was just during the season. Right. Right. I'm thrilled to have that. Oh yeah, twenty thousand a year. <laughs> Felt like the richest man in Babylon. Anyway, I finished up the baseball season, drove uh, immediately back home to Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, ready to report. And that and Peter, here, here's the darndest thing: the day after I got home, the phone rang. It was Jim Fanning, longtime major league catcher worked for the Braves for years, and he had just been named as the general manager of the Montreal Expos, an expansion mm -hmm. team. And he said, uh, Pat, I'd like you to join me. I'd like, I'd like you to come with, with us to Montreal and uh, help run the club. Whew. And I, I had to say to him, um, Jim, I'm, 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 I'm sick. I'm sick because I've just signed a three-year deal with the Sixers, and I, I I just can't do it. I couldn't. And so uh, that 
Peter, things were just bombing at me. Wow. So I went to Philly and, and I, Jack was gone. And basically he said, here are the keys, you know, go, go run it. Now, the big question was, because I had been, uh, you know, an absolute reckless promoter in Spartanburg. I mean, anything you could do, we were doing it. Right. And the question was, could you do this stuff in, in a big league city? Uh, can, you, can you have bear wrestling? Uh, can you have uh, singing pig acts? <laughs> uh, can you have... Um, Little Arlene in, in, in a hot dog eating contest. But Pat, you knew you knew you could because your mentor was Bill Veck. Yeah, Bill had been befriended me, Peter. His book came out, Veck is in Rec came out in the summer of 62, and I bought it on an off day. And I was just absolutely overwhelmed. But that book is still in print. Yeah. One of and the few it, books that I read and loved. <laughs> Peter, it's 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 one of the three best sports books ever written, I think. Right, right. And still in print. And I I encourage young executives when they call me one advice. I said you got to get Vecas in Rec, and 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 read that book thoroughly. But Peter, for some reason, Bill uh, befriended me because uh, I'd gone to see him. Yeah, you sought him out the same way you did, did. Ted Williams. Right? I did. I did. I And through a mutual friend, I was able to drive down to his estate in Easton, Maryland. This, this was after he had sold, well, he'd sold the White Sox, so he was out of baseball for a few years. And uh, we, we that first visit, I, I was, I'd have been happy to shake his hand and leave, but uh, I don't know, about six hours later, I left. Amazing. And uh, he was that kind of guy. He just was such a, uh, there was such a warmth to Bill and, and, and a curiosity about people. And uh, for 25 years, he, he mentored me and he advised me and he counseled me and he opened doors for me. I, uh, and so years later in tribute to him, I wrote a book, Peter, called Marketing Your Dreams, uh, Life Lessons That I Learned from, uh, from Bill Veck. And and abide by because you're the same type of guy. You, you I mean, I I wrote. You've never ever turned me down for an interview. I could call you and pester you, and you'd call me back. You know, and, and you would answer the questions uh, almost honestly most of the time. Well, Peter, Peter, I did the best I could with you because I learned <laughs> one thing. When you called, you know, you better better shoot straight with Peter Vesey. Uh, but but let me let me just say this: what 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 are the main things I learned from Bill Vec? Um, be open and available to the media. There you go. Uh, secondly, um, open your own mail. Uh, third, um, answer your own phone without three operators in between just to pick up the phone. Uh, roam around the ballpark. Uh, don't sit up in a skybox somewhere. Be down among the fans. Right. And when the game is over, stand at the gate and say goodnight to people. So uh, those are just a few of the things. Yeah, I, great stuff. I adopted from him and, and, and applied immediately as I began to get opportunities to run teams. I, I took that whole VEC philosophy and approach and, and applied it. He was also the person who brought in Larry Doby. Yes. As the second black in Major League Baseball. And That's Doby right. and I Doby and I became very good friends because Did of you? Joe Taub. They're from Patterson, New Jersey. And or at least they live there. And and anyway, we got to be good friends. And he he would tell 
stories about Bill Beck. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, that was 1948. He, he brought, um, yeah. no, forgive me, 1947 is when he Jackie Robinson came in in April. And then that summer, he brought, Bill brought uh, Larry Doby to Cleveland. Yep. Uh, then the next year, he brought Satchel Paige to the Indians. Yeah. And Three, he was about 107 then. <laughs> yeah, he was well into his 40s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Peter then in 1951, of course, uh, and we just celebrated that anniversary is uh, in St. Louis with the Browns. He sends the midget, Eddie Goodell, up to the plate, leading off the game to coax a walk out of uh, lefty Bob Kane of the Tigers. And uh, that, that moment in baseball history will never be forgotten. <laughs> in fact, that's how uh, Bill opens his book, Vecca's in Rec, he tells the Yeti Goodell story. Right, 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 right. Um, oh, that's great stuff. Delightful, delightful. I love the fact that you remember the names. Uh, you know, you, you total, total recall. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to move us along because I know that, uh, we, there are so many, so many places I want to go with you. Peter, um, we've only gotten to 1968. I know. I know. I gotta, I gotta, we may have to, we may, we may have to uh, do this every week. <laughs> I'm, I'm game. I'm game. I'll tell you <laughs> what, uh, the people who are listening are going to learn an awful lot. So you, you wound up one year, I believe with, with Philly, and then you had an offer from the Bulls to become the general manager of the Bulls. And this is the story that I just love is that Jack Ramsey told you that he would let you out of the contract if. Well, Peter, uh, I had that year in Philly. My title was business manager. And we did everything that was clean, legal, and moral to draw people. Uh, that summer, I mean, one year to the day after Jack Ramsey had called me in Spartanburg, uh, the call came from the Chicago Bulls. And they had had a big upheaval out there. They uh, dismissed their GM and uh, they were looking for the right guy. And guess, guess who had opened the door for me? Bill Beck. Yes. <laughs> uh, one, one of the uh, owners of the Bulls was a guy named, a lawyer named Phil Fry. And Phil Fry's father, had, had been one of Bill Vec's investors in the Indians, the, uh, the Browns, the White Sox. And so they were looking for somebody, and, and uh, Phil Fry Jr. ends up on the phone with Bill Vec. And Bill Vec says, uh, this, this guy, this kid, Williams, you, you ought to bring him out. And so they brought me out, interviewed me, and, um, and offered me the job. I was now 29, but there was there was a there was a problem because I had those two years left on the contract in Philadelphia. Jack Ramsey all summer long had been trying to trade Chet Walker to the Bulls for Jimmy Washington, um, who was from Villanova, had played in the league. Chet had been with the Sixers for a long time, <clears throat> and he'd been trying to make that trade. <clears throat> and the Bulls simply said, we don't have anybody running the club, but we, we can't. We right. Can't so there was, there was a coup. The, uh, the general manager decline was, was uh, also part, part owner. That's right. Dick Motter undermined them, got him out of there. So now you got Motter as the coach and his assistant scout is. 
one Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause. <laughs> and Jerry, I loved Chet and had been with him at Bradley University. <clears throat> and uh, they, they, but, but Jack, here's, here, so Jack Ramsey said, <clears throat> I'll let you out of the contract, but this trade has to be made as part of it. So uh, I, I, I got word. I got to talk to Mata, had to talk to Kraus, and they said, we've been trying to make the deal all summer. So like that, the deal was made. I was thrown in. Uh, I go with Chet and Shaler Halliman. Uh, they packaged us up, sent us to Chicago. Uh, Jimmy Washington comes back to Philly. Right. And uh, as it turns out, um, that really made my, my time in Chicago. Chet had been always kind of the third offensive option behind Wilt, behind Billy Cunningham, behind Hal Greer. And, and now he comes to Chicago and it's basically like he was unleashed. Well, let me stop you. So I was told when he was there, he might have been known as the third option or the fourth option, but I was told when they needed a, a basket, they would go to Chet Walker because Wilt, you couldn't, you know, you weren't sure if he could make a free throw. So he was ahead of he was ahead of uh, Billy Cunningham, and you know how Greer had a had you know he whatever he was great, but Chet Walker was was the man in, in Philly, and they won a championship. <laughs> yeah, they, there's no question, and had a had a great run, <clears throat> but he was always in, in the eyes of the media and the fans, he was right. always like the third guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe the fourth guy, even uh, even Luke Jackson. Uh, but but once he got to Chicago, it was like he was unwrapped. Uh, we uh, Jerry Sloan was there, but Jerry was not a, an offensive guy, and 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 uh, deep 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 down on the bench was this guy that nobody paid any attention to and didn't think about him. And all of a sudden, he emerges. His name was Bob Love. Correct, Butterbean. Butterbean Love, who, who yeah. goes on. Uh, to become a perennial all-star and, and, uh, you know, a superstar really. Yeah. Whose so, number, by the way, is retired by the Bulls, but yeah. Chet Walker's number is not retired. And, 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 and I, I'm in touch with Chet. I want to tell you something, uh, Peter, uh, Chet, who's in the hall of fame. Yes. Finally. Uh, he is so troubled by the fact that Jerry Sloan's number is retired and Bob Love's number is retired. Uh, I don't know whether Norm Van Leer's number is retired. I don't know, but uh, but Chet just can't get over the fact yeah. that the Bulls have ne neglected him uh, on that, and it's not right. He he he, he 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 Chicago had never accepted pro basketball, Peter. Right. It had always struggled. It had always been been a failure. Right. And, and it was, it, and the Bulls were, were were another failure. They were teetering, correct. And and had, had we moved, they'd moved eight home games to Kansas City, yeah, to lessen the season ticket price. And it, it has not worked. But Chet, Chet made it work. You know, yeah, he he absolutely deserves it. It's not it's not neglect. It's it's by design. The, the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, is just not going to do it. He, for whatever reason, he's not going to do it. And so there it is. But that team, you got you got Borwinkle, and then you yes. got Clifford Ray, and you got Dick Weiss, and you got Matty Gukas, and you, you, got a, you got a heck of a team. And 
I think four years straight, you you were like the second or third best team in the NBA, but never made the finals. But you were always losing to the team that won it, basically. Correct? Well, we always lost to the Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> in, in my four years there, Peter, we lost to the Lakers three times. Hmm. And two of the series went to game seven. And, um, yes, we we had um, Walker and Love. Then we traded for Garfield Hurd, who gave us a, a good third forward. The, the one great disappointment, we, we miraculously, in 1971, with a second-round pick, we took Howard Porter. No, the second, the second pick of the draft. Well, this was – he drifted on right? the, to the second round because okay. – he oh, had, okay, okay, because he had signed. He had already signed with the ABA. Yeah, he'd signed with the ABA, and he right, right, right. milked that, and so now it all broke loose. But we took him, and and at that point, the feeling was that Howard Porter was going to be a superstar. Well, say why, Pat? Say why? Well, he could he could shoot it. He could run. No, but who loved him? Who who loved him? Who said he had to have him? Said he was the best. Well, player. well, I was, well, well, I sent Dick in to go look at him in a college <laughs> game. <laughs> At the palestra, and right. and 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 I, I guess it was, if you go to the palestra, Peter, with that atmosphere and that noise, and I, I don't know whether it was Villanova LaSalle or something, and and Howard had one of those nights where he just went berserk, which he could do. Yeah, I mean, he could shoot it with the best of them. He could jump out of the gym. He could run, and um, they called him the geezer because he had that funny run. And but uh, it came back, and he said. Um, in his inimitable way, he said, he, 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 he's the third best uh, college forward I've ever seen. And I said, Dick, um, who, who were the two best? And he said, um, uh, Gus Johnson and Elgin Baylor. Oh, my. Now, Krause's report <laughs> that had come in earlier was not, not that glowing, uh -huh. not that glowing. And so Dick beat up on Krause and made him revise his report. <laughs> so anyway, we signed him. We got it done. And it yes. was a huge story. And the Bulls, oh, boy, we were excited. So we go to training camp, first day, Wheaton College. And uh, the, the morning session is over. It's lunchtime. Dick turns to me and he said, Howard Porter can't play. <laughs> I said, Dick, excuse me? He said, well, you saw it? He said, he, he can't dribble more than once. He can't pass it from here to there. And, and he said, he can't guard anybody. He said he, he, he can't. Well, as it turns out, uh, Dick was correct on that. He never could dribble it, and he right. was, he was never a defender, and he um, he never he wouldn't call Howard Porter a passer. He was not a right true basketball player. He was a runner. He was a jumper. He was a, a hot shooter at times. He and he hung on the hung around the league about eight years. Right, I think something like that. But uh, but. Peter, we could do a whole show on Dick Mata. Yeah, no, I, I, I would love to do a whole show on him. Let me, let me stop you. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He's, he's, uh, and to me, either are you, but I, you know, that's another issue. You're in as a, as a John Gunn 
contributor, whatever, you know, life achievement, which is all good, but we'll talk about that later. But um, Mata's record is below 500 as a coach. Uh, but on the other side, you know, Chet Walker thinks he was terrible coach. Bob Dandridge, who I interviewed last week, said he should be in the Hall of Fame. He thought he was a really good coach. He had him with the with the Bullets. But my point is, is that under 500, but he took teams, you know, to 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 great to great places. He took the Bulls, you know, to 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 second or third, you know, four years or so. He took five years. I think they lost to the Warriors at seventy. 475, they lost to the Warriors in seven games. They won the championship. You were gone by then, right? Yeah, I was but, in. But, but then, I was he, in. then he takes the bullets to the finals for two two back-to-back. They win the championship. He had a great run at Dallas. I mean, I don't know. What are you supposed to do? You know, uh, what? Peter, I don't think – I don't care what the sport. If you've got a, a sub-500 win and loss percentage, I don't think – I don't think he'll ever go in. There's nobody. Go, go check all the Hall of Fames. There's nobody uh, sub 500 that's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, yes, Dick had some some runs. He had his moments. You know, we had good teams. Was, was Bill Fitch below 500? Good. I don't think so. Okay. Was Hubie? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a good study. I just uh, maybe, yeah, maybe, I'll I don't that think up so. afterwards. I, I don't think uh, sub 500. You're gonna you're gonna, it'll you'll ever get in uh, a picture in baseball. Uh, uh, Gene Mock, I'd love to have in the Hall of Fame in baseball. Many think he should be, but I don't think he was 500. Mm-hmm. You might you might want to check on that. Anyway, Peter, uh, we had uh, we had four fascinating runs. We had a uh, so now we got Gar Hurd, we got Howard Porter, we got Walker, we got Love, we've got. Uh, Tom Borwinkle in the middle. And by the way, here's one for you. Then our guard line was we, we, we had traded Clem Haskins for Jim Fox to Phoenix. Uh, but then we made a trade. We sent Fox later to get Van Leer back from Cincinnati. Uh, Jerry Sloan was an absolute rock. Uh, you mentioned Bobby Weiss, not Dick Weiss. Uh, Dick, Dickie Weiss with their. Did behind. I say Dick Weiss? Did I yeah, say Dick, Dick was behind his typewriter? You know. <laughs> Excuse me, but let me just stop you. I, I now have been told that Hubie Brown's winning percentage is 486, and that includes his ABA record, which which the NBA does not count. And he won a championship in 70, 75 with Kentucky. So, so and, Hubie, and Hubie's in the Hall of Fame. He is. You know, I bet you it's more for his broadcasting. Well, no, I think he's in as a contributor. Okay. Jen is a contributor, and I, you know, and I, I take exception. I do because while we're on the subject, Casey Jones is not in the Hall of Fame as a coach. Two championships took took two teams to the finals. I mean, was in the finals. I think four or four out of six years or something. Well, Peter, I, I suggest like, you get a hold of Jerry Colangelo. Oh, Jesus, Jerry. Uh, <clears throat> Jerry is the is the dominant factor with, with yeah, the Hall of Fame. Well, my prediction is he makes the Hall of Fame. Well, he's already in it, I think. He's already yes. in it. But but they'll they'll have an award named after him before uh, Dick Mata gets in. But you know, he's, <laughs> he's a Chicago guy anyway. Listen, Jerry Colangelo is the one who discovered Mata. 
he was the he was Dick Klein's uh, right hand man in the early days when the Bulls were started, 66, 67. Well, that might answer everything right there. <laughs> and he brought he brought Dick aboard. Uh, and, and Dick's first year was the 68, 69 season. Terry by then had left to go to Phoenix. Right. So yeah, that left second year. Yeah. Well, that left Dick Klein who was a rather stately guy, you know, <laughs> and here comes this little potato farmer from Utah, Dick Mata, who came across as this kind of meek and mild, but boy, he, he was an absolute fierce, tough minded competitor. Really? Oh, oh boy. He, he was, he was tough as a corn cob and, um, uh, and and he he wanted things his way. Now here here's what happened with with Dick Klein. Um, he had Flynn Robinson. This is the 68-69 season. Dick has Flynn Robinson, and he did not like Flynn Robinson. Didn't like the way he played. He, he didn't. He was not a Flynn Robinson guy. And and they were. And he said to Dick Klein on a Saturday morning. He said, "If Flynn Robinson is in the gym tonight." He said, uh, you won't see me there. So that day, uh, a trade was announced. Wow. Flynn Robinson traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. Right. Or Eddie Doucette nicknamed him the Electric Eye. <laughs> Who had better nicknames than Eddie Doucette? Oh, the Electric Eye. He invented, Eddie, Eddie invented the Skyhook. Skyhook, right. Yeah. And, and coming from Milwaukee to Chicago, that little 90-mile run, hmm. Bobby Weiss and Bob Love. Oh, my goodness. And uh, trade. It, it turned out, you know, but it, but it was Mata saying to Dick Klein, if, if, if Flynn Robinson is here at the gym tonight, he said, I won't. Oh, I, I'm learning stories, which I love. I love. Um, I want to know why you... You did. I read that you did not take Walt Frazier. You took Clem Haskins instead because you knew that Frazier was asking for too much money. How how would you have known that he was coming out of what Southern Illinois? He didn't have a whole lot of uh, panache behind him. I mean, he had a great great senior year, whatever. But so his, I think his agent was Norman Blass, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Peter, let me say this. I was not in Chicago then. Oh. I, I came in um, in the You're fall. You're right. So that, that was 67. You're right. I came in the fall of 69. Six, yeah. He was 67. All right. Can you answer the question anyway? Oh, oh listen. Uh, there, there was a reason, and the reason was I think Frazier had another year of eligibility, didn't he? Um, but, but it just – Clem Haskins was was an excellent high, a college player. He could shoot it. He was not a point guard, right? And and just like um, every year, uh, GMs lose their jobs because they, uh, if I could just have that pick back, <laughs> if I could just have it back. And I thought after you know I got there, how how about a guard line of Walt Frazier and, and Jerry Sloan, right? Would that have been something? Yeah, pretty pretty neat. Would that have been? Well, what something? about all right? So taking back taking back a pick. How about the pick that they uh, they took Eddie Collins? Sure. <laughs> well, that instead Peter, of that Tiny was, Archibald. 
That was me. That was me. All right. So, but it, but there's an explanation. So, Mata loved Eddie Collins. So it was not Eddie. His name was Jimmy Collins. Jimmy Collins. I'm sorry, Jimmy Collins. And he Thank he you. he and Sam Lacey had taken New Mexico State I mean, right. to the Final Four. Uh, they were they were it was quite a show. They were terrific. And uh, <laughs> I sent Dick out again during the tournament, and he called me about two o'clock in the morning. He said, uh, I, I, I have just seen a, a, a great player. I said, Dick, what's his name? He said, Nate Archibald. He had seen UTEP in the, in the tournament. He said, right. I, I, I have just seen a great player. Well, Krauss knew him and he had reports in on him and so forth. But, but, but Krauss... Krause was a Jimmy Collins guy. There's no other way to describe it. He, yeah. he loved Jimmy Collins, loved Jimmy Collins. Uh, I, I, I knew Krause well. I lived with him for a long time. And, and Jerry is, is venerated now. He's a Hall of Famer. But, but Jerry was not infallible. I mean, he, he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't hit every one of them. So, so we, 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 oh, Peter, if I could just, and I'll tell you who else <laughs> went on to the second round in, in 70. It was uh, Calvin Murphy. Yeah, drafted back to back. But Peter. Archibald Murphy. <laughs> but Peter, in those days, second um, round. the feeling was little, little tiny guards, you know, couldn't make it. Yeah. Yet you, you, you weren't going anywhere with them, uh, but they both ended up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and and to this day, whenever I've run into uh, Archibald at, a, at any kind of a function, I I always say to him, uh, "Oh, tiny, tiny, if we could just redo it." <laughs> Here's what happened: we we got a hold. We the plan was we'll take Jimmy Collins on the first round, and then on the second round we'll take Archibald. So we got a hold of him in his dorm in El Paso and told him, just wait in your dorm, just wait there. And, uh, and, and let's see what happens, the draft underway. And uh, we take Collins and everything's working, looking good. And then on the second round, my old friend Joe Axelson sneaks in and takes Jimmy uh, Nate. Hours later, hours later, the phone rings it's it's Nate Archibald calling in. He's in his dorm room. It's waiting. Then he's saying, "What happened? What happened?" I said, uh, "Nate, we we didn't get you. Have you not heard from Cincinnati?" No, he said. I thought I was going to go to Chicago. Uh, so so prior to the so so Peter, once we got the draft set, the plan was Collins first. Archibald second. And I said, Dick, what happens if we don't get tiny Archibald on the second round? And Dick said, well, then we'll play against him. <laughs> <laughs> I recently asked Bob Cousy, who was the coach of the Royals when tiny was a rookie. And I said, why, why would you turn the ball over the tiny Archibald. I mean, what made what was so impressive about him? He said, "I never saw a guy go from here to there so fast." <laughs> he said, 
you got to give him the ball. He knew what to do with it, you know, and he was smart wow. and everything. Tiny's one of my all-time favorite people. Forget about and, and players. Oh, forget about players. I, yeah, absolutely. But and I, I, I think now, I think what a, what, what a Jerry Sloan uh, Archibald guard line would have been. Mm. Anyway, Peter, we, we, we got out of this mess that I've talked to you about. Because now Cincinnati has a guard line of Norm Van Leer and Archibald, uh, exactly the same kind of players. Uh, they were lead guards, and and uh, and their center position was weak. So so Joe Axelson and and uh, Bob Cousy come in to look at our center situation. We had three: uh, Borwinkle, Cliff Ray, and and Jim Fox. And I said, so they looked and I took him out to dinner late, took him to the airport and they called the next day and said, <laughs> okay, uh, we'll, we'll trade Van Leer for Jim Fox. And we did it. We did it. Because earlier in my first go round, we had traded Van Leer was a third round pick of the Bulls. Uh, Krauss got that right. And and we but we had traded him to uh, Cincinnati for Walt Wesley because hmm. Dick was not sold on Borwinkle. His his backup was Dave Newmark from Columbia. Still here from Dave. He's out in San Francisco. Really? Yeah. Really. In well, a wheelchair. In a wheelchair, unfortunately. No kidding. He and he and. Um, he and Neil Walk ended up really. In yes, yes, yeah. Same kind of thing. Same kind of surgery went bad. Yeah. Peter, have you know? Here's one for you. Have you have you thought all the great NBA centers, with the exception of Kareem, I guess, and Dave Cowens, they've all died. Yeah, and you can't count Cowens because he was undersized, but. Yeah. But, but Unsell was undersized too. And he me. Will, Willis Reed's still living. Yeah. But, but he's sick, I hear. So Moses Malone, Caldwell Jones, Daryl. The Philly centers, Wilt, Malone, Dawkins, Caldwell Jones, Daryl Imhoff. I mean, Mark, I, Mark McNamara. Mark McNamara. They're all dead. All dead. They, they all died young. Yes. Wes Unsell's gone. Bellamy's gone. Now Bob Lanier is gone. It is. It is. It's scary. Is Otto is Otto Moore still living? Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I I ran into, and this is going to get us to our next subject. But I, I I was in touch with Jeff. I am in touch with Jeff Ruland, and and so he was he was uh, involved in 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 probably the worst trade you ever made. But I his he is his body is now better than it's been in many 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 years he's had surgery his back is okay his knees are okay and he's he's in great shape and uh, i i wanted to call him before i spoke to you because he only he was involved in a trade you go to all right so you're out of you're out of chicago now you're you're in atlanta which i would just like to spend two seconds on but deserves a whole hour you spend a year in atlanta and then you you come to Philly and 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 think great things happen, not so great things happen. But I wanted to know if he was healthy when you traded for him along with Hinson for Brad Darty, who you had just drafted number one, and uh, and Moses Malone. So I like he said 
I thought I was. I'd had a bad, bad ankle sprains the previous year, but I played in two playoffs. My bad knee was better than my good knee. I had done a lot of work on it during the summer. I get I get to Philly, and he ends up playing five games. Oh, you already left. You left. <laughs> oh, Peter, where where are we? We're we're all the way now to uh, 1986. Well, no, I just I just I, I had to do the centers because you were talking about. Okay, you know, well, well, let me take let me let me take you, Peter, to uh, draft night. Uh, I had already told Harold Katz I was leaving. Uh, to come down to Orlando uh, to try and bring the NBA to Orlando. Uh, and, and we made an agreement I would stay through the draft and, and run the draft. Um, Jack McMahon was uh, already headed to the Warriors with Don Nelson, but he was going to stay. Um, Billy Cunningham, Matt Kukas was our head coach. We had a, Jimmy Lynham was there. We had a lot of, a lot of experience. Yeah. And so we could not get comfortable with anybody in that draft. Right. It was the drug draft. Right. And and all the all those guys just about ended up in the. Four, I think four out of the top six. Yeah. It was it was a nightmare, and and we we sensed with all of them there were some problems. Uh, Brad Darty we liked but didn't love. Um, Chuck Person and and Charles Barkley would would. We're not compatible. No, but so but person was later, right? Person was no Chuck was in that draft. He was, huh? Not what not West Person. West Person came later. No, no, Chuck Chuck was in it with with Bar okay. Okay. No, in that was, in that draft. Okay. Chuck was in the 86 draft. Okay. So Indiana. Okay. So uh so we could have taken him first, but we were not comfortable. So we began to shop around. Uh there was not much interest in our pick. Uh, let, let me let me interject here, Len Bias, uh, because as we were really getting uh, moving on that draft, uh, I, I said to Jack McMahon one day, I said, Jack, uh, wh why are we not talking about uh, Bias, Len Bias at Maryland? And Jack said, oh, I've seen him. He said, there, there's something about him I don't like. So Jack, the old veteran. Who knew more basketball than anybody I've ever spoken oh, to. Oh, there was nobody like Jack. Yeah. He said, there's something about him I don't like. Right. I said, well, don't, don't, shouldn't we bring him in and meet with him? He said, no, no need to. Do you think he knew? Well, he, Jack, all I can tell you is that Jack spotted there was something about him I don't like, but there's no mm -hmm. need to bring him in. Now, we did bring in Darty and got a workout with him. Um, but, but we weren't in love with him. And so anyway, uh, we began to shop around and as it turns out, Cleveland was very interested. Um, remember Harry Weltman. Know him well. Harry his Weltman. Is, his son is running Orlando, right? Yeah, it's a, quite a story. Right. So, so Harry is there overseeing it, but Wayne Embry is waiting in the wings my dear friend, Wayne Embry's waiting in the wings. Yes. And uh, and we we were very high on Roy Henson. He was a young veteran. He'd been a good player, and he was signed, and we, we felt very good about him. And so uh, they were willing to make the deal. Uh, I had authority to make that deal. So at the last minute, I said to Harry, 
I said, Harry, and, and you're going to have to kick in a million dollars. And uh, he called me back later and he said, I can only do 800. Uh, I had authority to make the trade even up. So I go back into the said, guys, we've just made a trade. Uh, I said, we're, we're sending uh, that pick to Cleveland. We got Henson and 800,000. <laughs> Harold Katz said, why didn't you get a million? So you 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 switched it up. Instead of giving a million, you got eight hundred. We got eight hundred thousand. I asked for a million. Oh, you asked for a million. I, and, I, and, and 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 Harry said came back later. He said I, I, I can only I can only do eight hundred mil eight hundred thousand. Was part of that reason that he made that trade that Moses was trying to renegotiate, wanted a new contract. Uh, no, uh, I think that I think we felt that. Mo well, that's another part of it, because uh, that same night we traded Moses uh, to Washington. And that's how Ruland and, and Cliff Robinson, the other Cliff Robinson. Yeah. Ended up coming to uh, Orlando. The USC, the USC Cliff that's Robinson. That's right. Who, who yeah. was who in his day was a, was quite a player. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and uh, we felt Ruland with with Barkley dominating down low. You know, rolling with his passing skills in the great, high post. Yeah. He had a triple double that year against Moses. Oh, he was he was a great player. He was yeah. outstanding. He really was good. I, you Mix, know, Cliff, let me just interject. Cliff Robinson has the NBA record for most grandparents who died during his career. <laughs> <laughs> just throw that out there. <laughs> Peter, we made the deal that night. I left the next day for Orlando, uh, but there was a great sense of, uh, of of happiness, joy. Jack McMahon and Jimmy Lynam and Maddie was excited. Maddie felt great, and Harold and John Nash, and we were all, so we're going to put rolling up here at the top of the key, and we got Charles down here. We got another year with with Julius. We got uh, Mo Cheeks out here, and we were ho still hoping that Tony would come around. And um, oh, and, and, and we, so anyway, we felt we felt that we'd solidified the club. We have so much ground to cover in such a short time. I, let me let me just throw three names. You just mentioned two of them: Andrew Tony. I I might have been the only writer to stick up for Andrew when he was being accused of jaking it had the bad knees. He's never forgiven Philly for for feeling that way about him. Uh, I don't think he's ever given out an, an interview period. I'd love to interview Andrew Tony, but um, what, what are your thoughts on that? What happened there? Well, it's one of the saddest stories we, we had, we had more problems with feet and ankles. Uh, Doug Collins was a hall of fame player, but his, his career was, was dramatically curtailed by feet, ankles from the beginning. From, it was a, it was a sad. Uh, so now comes Andrew in 1980. We had made a trade. We traded Mel Bennett uh, with his thick glasses. Remember Mel Bennett? One you know, of the toughest guys in ABA history, by the well, way. University of Pittsburgh, and we oh, we traded him because Bobby Bobby uh, Leonard wanted him, and we traded him for a future first, which came in 1980. And with that pick, I think it was picked. 10th pick, uh, we take Andrew Tony from Southwest Louisiana State. And boy, uh, Peter, he came on. He was ready to play right away. He was an NBA player right from the get-go. 
and uh, he was right in the lineup, and uh, he was fearless. He was. Danny Ainge once said to me, he said there were only three players that that caused me to stay up all night. The night <laughs> he was one of them, huh? Then Michael Jordan <clears throat> said Magic Johnson and Andrew Tony. And Andrew was known as the Celtic Killer. Boston Strangler. He was the Boston Strangler. I'm back. I had to put my dog away. <laughs> the Celtic Killer. Yeah. I um, I remember Pat, his his first game, his first day of rookie camp, or no, first day of camp. Uh, I'm coming back to Julius's. I was staying at Julius's house or apartment, wherever it was, and, and he told me, he said, This guy, Tony. He said he is the real deal. One day he told me that. Well, Peter, that and and let me say this: I the more I'm around it, um, let, let's go back a couple of years. The first day of training camp, uh, you could say that Mari's cheeks is ready to be a point guard in the NBA, and and on opening night of his rookie year, the ball was in his hands, and for the next ten years. In other words, I think you can either play or you can't. <laughs> uh, now, now, some are slower developers. And players but, know that. Players they, know. They know who can play. Yes. And, 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 and they know who can't. Like Dick Motto on that first day with Howard Porter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think probably the first day with Jimmy Collins. Right. In your training, come to think of it. Yeah, it didn't last um, but boy, as as a GM, as a scout, Peter, when you hear that, uh, that guy can play because you're holding your breath after you take the kid. And but, but we we saw that this summer, uh, won the lottery, take the Ben Shero kid from Duke, and he played in the summer league. They only played him two games. They said we've seen enough. Uh, and, and I'll be eager to see how this plays out. But the sense here in Orlando now is that he, he's, he's a player. He's, he's, or as Joe Axelson would say, he's a basketball player. Right. That's how Joe would – it was all one word. He, he's right. a basketball player. Right, right. Rhonda Hagen used to have a term for good-looking women. He'd call them seven-footers. <laughs> it goes at seven-footer. Oh, thanks, Ron. Um <laughs> I, we, we, again, we, we're up against time. I know. Okay, that. Peter. Look, Jack McMahon, I've already said, best basketball guy I've ever spoken to. I, I just couldn't get enough of his information. You were smart enough to hire him and Chuck Daly to be Billy Cunningham's assistant coaches. And I don't think it had ever been done before. You bring in two guys to help somebody who'd never coached before. And then you had the Bulls later on, you know, Phil Jackson bringing in Tex Winter and, and Johnny Bach and blah, blah. Other teams have done it since. What what made you do that, bring in those two guys? Well, first of all, when I got to Philly in 74, Jack was already there. Right. And he was he was Gene Shue's assistant. And 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 the scout in those days, Peter, you'd have generally you'd have two assistants, but one of them would peel off at the start of college. And and be out scouting. Sure. Now today, listen, Peter. We most teams have eight assistants, and and ten scouts. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but but um, but Jack was here. So now Billy, uh, we we hired Billy in the fall of '77. 
And he said, I'd like to talk to uh, Chuck Daly. I said, well, Billy, he's the head coach at Penn. He just got here a few years ago. He said, well, go, go, go check. See, you know Chuck. He said, go, go visit with him. And I did. I went over to the palestra after practice and sat down with Chuck. He said, I want to get into the NBA. I want to get into the pros. I said, really? I said, well, uh, what are you making at Penn? And I said, well, let's, we, we, we can go, we can go uh, 35,000, Chuck. Uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go a couple of years, 35. Okay, we made the deal. Chuck never, by the way, Chuck never let me live that down. He said, you, he said you stole me. Yes, I said, I said, Chuck, because uh, when he came here uh, to coach the Magic, uh, he, he was getting paid like five million. Right. Yeah, he made it up. I, th I said, Chuck, I think I think I think we made it up to you. You overcompensated. I think we did. <laughs> and, and Peter, it's too bad because we we could do the next 30 minutes on Chuck Daly. I, I, I know that's, you know, again, I, I got one more guy. I have to. We, we didn't even get to Pete Maravich. No, I, you know what? Call me back. All right. So, we'll again. you know what? Let, let's finish. I'm going to do Irving another time. It's been done before. Everybody talks about what Danny Ainge has gotten out of Minnesota and has gotten out of, out of Cleveland for two All-Stars. Tell everybody what you got from New Orleans for Pete Maravich. Do you remember all the particulars? Oh, Pete, I do. Uh, I, I do because uh, we, I, that was my one year, 73-74. We'd been with uh, Atlanta. Uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons was our coach, and he'd had a terrible time with Pete. Uh, Pete was in in bad shape then. Yeah, he suspended him one game. I remember. Yeah, he was in bad shape. He, he was he had depression problems. He had parental problems. He had alcohol problems. He was in, he was a mess. And so at the end of the year, uh, Cotton said, "Why don't you go and find out what you can get for him?" Which was pretty radical, really. And uh, and I started working on that. There was no interest, none. Uh, he had no market value, none. But uh, there was a break because New Orleans was coming into the league as an expansion team for the 74-75 uh, season. They were coming in, in the area of the New Orleans Jazz. And uh, they called me. I, I heard from their people because right there in the heart of New Orleans, LSU, Baton Rouge, oh, Pete was going to get their franchise up and running. And so they kept calling and I kept talking and we began to put some things together. <laughs> How many picks? Because uh, you knew it was going to be the first round. There was no lottery then. You knew it was going to be the first, uh, first pick in the draft. There was a coin flip then. So you're going to pick either one or two. So we got, we got their first two uh, picks for 75, 76, first two First rounders got the first two picks in the expansion draft. Finally, my owner, Tom Cousins, said, don't ask for anything more. He, he said, because uh, they may go out of business and we won't get them. <laughs> so tell us who, who you got. Who, who did Atlanta get? Oh, I left. So we made no, the trade, Peter, and, and, a, and a month later, I left uh, off back to Philly, back to Philly in the summer of 74. And so I left him with this this nest egg, I mean, this huge, huge package that could have turned their franchise around. And in and, and back-to-back years, they take Marvin Webster, 
or, or, or uh, David, David, Thompson. Thompson, David Thompson, Marvin Webster. Yes. Didn't sign either one of them. Yeah, ABA. They That's both went. League. They both. They both <laughs> go to the NBA. ABA. I think to Denver, it was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, it was a total disaster in Denver. Denver in '74. Uh, Denver uh, got Bobby Jones after Houston took him on the first round. That was Carl Shear. Yeah. Who was who was a tough operator. He was a good operator. He should be in the Hall of Fame also. Yeah, you know, a, a, a tough operator. Yeah. So the so the Hawks end up with nothing. Right. But but still, what you were able to get out of it, I think there was even more to it than that. I I, I don't know. There was there were I think there were a few seconds and there yeah, was think, a lot yeah, of there were a couple seconds. I think Poodles Willoughby was in there somewhere oh, oh, and now we're now we're back in 75 oh 75 okay <laughs> 75 I, I get to philly in uh, 74 so my first year uh we needed a center and the year before moses malone out of high school had gone to the aba and was terrific yeah and and our thought was is there another one out there and we shopped around there were two high school centers bill cartwright and now grove california and Daryl Dawkins, Maynard Evans High School, Orlando, Florida. We scouted them both, and we thought Daryl was physically ahead. But but in the meantime, there was this high school forward up in uh, New York area, named New Jersey. Bill, yeah, Bill in Bill Willoughby. Yeah, and Peter, I must have gone up there five times to watch him in high school. And uh, and 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 Chuck Kaufman represented him. Remember. Sure. Kaufman. Chuck Kaufman. And uh, I finally had to tell Chuck, I said, we're not going to take him on the first round. I said, uh, well, how about the second? I said, yeah, we'll do that. And and so we, we, we lured him into the draft. We lured Daryl Dawkins in on the first round and lured Willoughby in on the second. So we were going to go Dawkins, early second, we take Willoughby. But the pick before, darn if the Hawks don't jump in there and take a Willoughby. Sight unseen. They'd never seen him. We'd right. seen him a bunch of times. Right. So so now we have the next pick. And so we just have to settle for the kid out of Guilford, uh, Lloyd Free. <laughs> That's how Lloyd Free entered, ended up. Oh, in my Philly goodness. Because we, uh, we, were, we were obligated to take Willoughby. Right. Oh, that's that's unbelievable. So this uh, out of Guilford College and and yeah. and his coach, Jack Jensen, had been a classmate of mine at Wake Forest. Uh, and so we he was he kept me in the loop. He informed me, you know, about all of that and what to do. And we take Lloyd free. I think he's still working for the franchise. He is. is. World, be, world, be, Pat, world, world Pat, be free. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to have to end it, but I, I'm going to ask you if we can. If we can pick it up, I don't know when, but pick it up because there's so much more that, I mean, we haven't hit Orlando at all. We haven't hit getting Julius Irving, the McGinnis stuff. With yes. The, you know, the whole, there's so much more, but that's you. I mean, you are, you have seen it all. You have done most of it. And uh, I, I just, I am, I am, I don't want to say honored because to me that's a cliche, but I, I am, uh, I'm enchanted that you are. <laughs> <laughs> that you are my guest today, and, and I want to thank you a lot. I know people are going to eat this stuff up. 
Peter, anytime. Let's uh, let's, uh, let's finish do part two. Let's do part two. Anytime you want. Okay. okay. Pat, thank you. Good to talk, Pete. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Hoop Du Jour with me, Peter Vesey, presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. You can listen to all Hoop Du Jour interviews by searching Legends Studios wherever you get your podcasts. 